This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Outbound Squad, formerly Blissful Prospecting, hosted by Jason Bay. It's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Jason Bay is a leading sales expert, and he talks with other leading sales experts to get you the information you need. I've recent episode, he talked about how much time you need to spend prospecting really really eye-opening. Check it out. Uh, listen to the Outbound Squad wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance and my guest today is Anne Handley. She's a Wall Street Journal bestselling author focused on helping businesses worldwide escape marketing mediocrity to ignite tangible results. Her work has appeared in Entrepreneur, The Wall Street Journal, NPR, Chicago Public Radio, and The Financial Times. She's also a principal co-founder at Marketing Profs and the author of Everybody Writes, your new and improved go-to guide to creating ridiculously content. That's the second edition, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Wow, that was a very, very long introduction, but I appreciate it, your, your oh, generous. And, and that, and that was half freedom. of all the brilliant things <laughs> I could say about you. Hey, you, I listen to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Uh -huh. frequently that's chicago public radio isn't it yes it is yeah that wasn't yeah. the show that i was on but yeah no yeah, it was a i was on a political marketing show they were it was they were looking at political campaigns and had me on as like a, a commentator so um how to use tic marketing how to use tiktok show. for political campaigns now oh yeah right? that's actually yeah well there's tiktok <laughs> it, it was video though so there's that <laughs> okay so you were on for everybody writes the like old and unimproved version. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> sorry, I, I actually love that you added something to the subtitle instead of just like new edition. Love so it, I'm going to start calling it that the old <laughs> and unimproved version of the book. Oh, you have that one, the original. Oh, it's old and unimproved. <laughs> so, so I think it's fair game to ask an author and I'm sure a publisher says, well, why in the heck would anybody buy a second edition of this? So what was your justification? I guess, and you probably didn't need it because your author, your publisher loves you, but what was your justification for the need to write a, a, an updated version? Yeah, it's, it's funny because I actually did get pushback from my mm. publisher maybe not in the way that you think, but because she said, you know, this book, it's, it's sold a hundred thousand copies. I mean, it's not nothing. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And she said, it's already, it still sells briskly. The book yeah. is eight years old, but it still is, you know, it, it still sells really well. And, and she said, and I don't theoretically know. the comma still goes in the same place, right? I yeah. mean, yeah. it's like nothing's changed. Yeah. And so she said, <laughs> why do you want to do this? And the reason why I wanted to do it was because there, I just wanted to update a few things in the book. There were some examples that were dated. There were some references that just don't really apply anymore. And so I thought, yeah, you know what? I, I kind of want to just go through it. And I thought I would do the equivalent of, you know, running the vacuum around the pages and yeah. maybe just do a little light dusting, spray some Febreze so it smells nicer, smells fresher. That's <laughs> what I thought I was going to do. And then I got into it and I started reading it and I thought, you know what? Most importantly, John, my voice had changed. My voice uh. had really changed as a writer over the past eight years and my thinking had changed. So when I dug into it, I realized I didn't talk about a lot of things that 
I think are important now in marketing in 2022. So things like email newsletters, things like understanding how to write a good speech description, you know, when you think, well, I'm not a speaker. Well, a lot of marketers are supporting executives who do give speeches. Mm. So how do you get them on the main stage? That kind of stuff, how to write with humor, thinking about how to write short form video, how to write captions, you know, all of that kind of stuff, like uh, photo captions visuals. And so there's a lot of things that I just wasn't really on my radar eight years ago that I thought I really want to dig into it a little bit more. So as a result, what I thought was going to be a light vacuum, some dusting and some Febreze spraying turned into, we're going to take this right down to the studs and we're going to rebuild it from the ground up. I added a bunch of new stuff to the book. That's why it says completely revised and expanded because I added a bunch of pages, but I also cut a lot of things. I cut a lot of the boring stuff is the way that I thought about it. Like if I read it and I thought, God, who, who would read this? Like if it put me to sleep, I was like, yeah, we're, we're cutting that one right out. So for example, there's a whole section on readability in the old version, in the old and unimproved in your vernacular <laughs> version. I cut that right out. Cause I was like, you know what? That's, you know, no one cares about that. So let's just get it right out. I moved a little bit of it, of it to the tools section at the end, but, but yeah, but more than that, I really wanted to give a, a fresher look at writing in 2022. Well, and, and let's face it, every author would benefit from here's a whole bunch of my books, everybody go read them and then come back and tell me what you think. Right. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that some of it was just based on what news stories, but also what people told you resonated, didn't work. They, you know, made you think about something differently. I mean, it's kind of a gift to have that. And you don't often get that and the chance to do what you did. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Actually, I didn't really think about it in those terms, but yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, I mean, I've been out talking to marketers over the past eight years. And so I have a good sense of, you know, what, what they love about it, what they don't love about it. I had the benefit of that sort of ground research, I guess, but also looking at review sites like Goodreads and like Amazon and, and trying to understand, you know, what works for people and what doesn't. So all of that really helped too. So, I mean, on the surface, everybody writes, you know, sounds like a book about writing. And of course it is a book about writing, but you, because of your world of being in content and marketing, I mean, a lot of people that have purchased this book have purchased this as a content marketing book as well. So what in the eight years has changed the most about content marketing? Oh, that, wow. That's a big question. I think a oh, lot I got a big, I got bigger ones. So oh, go ahead. Wow, I love this. <laughs> big stuff. Big stuff John. A lot has changed over the past eight years about content marketing. You know, when I first wrote this book, I wrote it on the heels of content roles, which came mm-hmm. out four years. With CC Chapman. One, with yeah. CCR, my good friend CC. And, you know, we published that book at a time when content marketing was, was nascent. You know, it was kind of yep. a thing that some people were doing, but not very consistently. Yeah. So four years later, when the, the old, an unimproved version came out. It was at a point in time where 2014, where people were starting to take content marketing pretty seriously. It was starting Mm -hmm. to be embedded within an organization, but they were still trying to figure out, you know, well, how does it fit with, with marketing and where does it live within an organization? And so here, fast forward now to 2022, new book comes out. And I think that there's a lot of things that have changed operationally within organizations, but the most important thing, and and really one of the the driving factors behind the new edition is that, you know, writing content just to play the SEO game is not going to cut it anymore. 
Google has gotten very, very smart about figuring out whether something is valuable or not. And so they keep releasing updates that will surface the great stuff. So what does that mean? It puts new pressure on marketers and businesses generally to produce the kind of content that is actually going to be valuable to the people who are going to access it. So I think that's a, that's one big thing. And so it puts new pressure on the kinds of stories that we tell and the way that we write to engage an audience. And, and when I say write, I mean, it could be the way that we produce to engage mm-hmm. an audience. It could be anything. But I think the second thing is, is that I've seen definitely a shift in the way that we view content. Like we're using it now to set ourselves apart, like not just to, you know, fill a pipeline full of, of, of leads to throw over to, to nurture and eventually end up in sales, but to really tell a story in a way that is going to differentiate us and our products and our services. And so all of those things I think are very different in the new book and, and why I talk about things like brand voice in the new edition, why I talk about things like storytelling. I did kind of mention both in the first edition, but in the second edition, yeah. I really blew it up and, and talk about it a whole lot more. It, yeah. I mean, you, you really can't get five pages into a marketing book these days and they're not talking about storytelling because that, you know, and, and it's, it's interesting though, because I, 25 years ago, you know, I'd stand up in front of an audience and say that people want to hear your story. And businesses were like, no, they don't want to hear my story. They want to hear about the features of our product. And so it's so funny now that people are tripping all over themselves, you know, to tell their story as the first point of connection or the first, first part of trust building, mm-hmm. you know, before we even start talking about what we sell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And I also think that, you know, we're, especially in a post COVID world, we're so much more willing to like, well, first of all, just to use digital marketing and digital tools. It's also put new emphasis on content, like using content. Like before we turned on the mics here, we were talking about the state of events in, in 2022 into 2023. Right. So it's put new pressure on content to actually, you know, to, to nurture those relationships with people, to build trust and to build some yeah. sort of connection and affinity with the people who, who we care about reaching. So I think, you know, all of that is true too. But I also think that... And I hate to use this word because it's so cliched in marketing, but I think that we are, are it's incumbent on us in business to show our faces, to show our humanity, to show people who we are. And I think that's one good thing. And I'm using good in like air quotes, like good thing that came out of the, the pandemic, mm. because I think in a world where we are all for the first time ever dealing with the same thing at the same time, the sort of global crisis, this global yeah. um this global virus, I think that it, it did level the playing field at least at least a little bit and allowed us all to, you know, really just speak directly to one another. And I do see that, you know, there, there are elements of that that I think are, are have remained, you know, here it is. Well, I thought you were going to use, I thought when you started saying uh, cliche, I thought you were going to use the word authenticity and, you know, because that's something we used yeah. for about 10 years. Right. And then one of the things I found happened was the pandemic actually called everybody's bluff. Yeah. He's like, oh, you can't just use the word anymore. <laughs> you know, it actually means something. And now we un- understand that. And I think that was kind of a really ironic sort of twist. Mm-hmm. I think authenticity we talked about for 10 years, now all of a sudden real. Yeah, I know. I kind of ha- have a love relationship with that word too, because it's like, what does that actually mean? But you're absolutely right. I do think that it did call yeah, everybody's yeah. bluff, didn't it? Are you an agency owner, consultant, or coach that works with business owners? 
then I want to talk to you about adding a new revenue stream to your business that will completely change how you work with clients. For the first time ever, you can license and use the duct tape marketing system and methodology in your business through an upcoming three-day virtual workshop. Give us three days and you'll walk away with a complete system that changes how you think about your agency's growth. The duct tape marketing system is a turnkey set of processes for installing a marketing system that starts with strategy and moves to long-term retainer implementation engagements. We've developed this system by successfully working with thousands of businesses. Now you can bring it to your agency and benefit from all the tools, templates, systems, and processes we've developed. To find out when our next workshop is being held, visit dtm.world slash workshop. That's dtm.world slash workshop. So let's talk about voice. Mm -hmm. You, I know you are a huge fan of that aspect of, of content. You have a very true and consistent voice. You use humor a lot as, as part of that. In fact, I would tell people, go get your newsletter, Anarchy, and and there's con lots of humor <laughs> thrown in there. How does somebody, how, if somebody comes to you and says, well, my job is to write for, you know, this technical consulting firm, you know, that does X, Y, Z. And, you know, I feel like I'm in a box, you know, I can't use my voice because I'm like forced, or at least I feel like I'm forced <laughs> to just write a certain way. So how does somebody, how does somebody actually, because we know, we all know that if somebody's writing in their true voice, it's going to be better writing. Mm -hmm. So how does, you know, how does somebody find their voice? How does somebody use it? Um, how does somebody, you know, value it, nurture it. You said your voice had changed. Mm -hmm. So that was a lot of questions, but yeah, a lot of, take a stab at one yeah, of them. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of questions rolled into one. Yeah, no, I mean, I am a, a big, a big fan of brand voice or, you know, or just, just tone of voice in general for a writer or for a creator or, or a communicator. And just to like, to, just to, to sort of set the stage for like, what is voice? Like, what does it mean? Like voice is in writing it, it's how our writing sounds in the mind or in the brain of the reader. Like yeah. that's, that's it. Right. Like the, when I read David Sedaris, it's going to be very different than when I read something by like Tina Fey, right. When I read bossy pants. So it's very like, there are different voices. I hear their voices in my head. So that's what it means just in general. But when you think about it in a marketing context, like what does it mean in marketing? It, it basically are signals of your personality that you are sharing with your audience. So what signals are you sending to an audience when they read your white paper or when they read your blog post mm -hmm. or when they access anything that you publish or produce? Like, what do you sound like? What, what are you, what are you telling your audience about yourself? And so I don't, I think that every company has a voice and whether they choose to really lean into that or or not i think is is up to them but i am a big advocate for absolutely defining it and leaning into it but your question about like individual creators like if you're working for say i don't know some management consulting company who is like oh we want to be taken seriously you know we sell barely big right, solutions right. and we have like lots of like <laughs> company yeah. use synergy yeah. use synergy as use often as you can synergy is yeah. we'll circle back <laughs> on that brand voice thing later <laughs> like, 
like, you know, what do you do if you're a writer or, or a marketer right. or a creator within those, those companies? And I think, you know, it's, it's a challenge. You've got to, like, if you are a creator and you don't have the, the power to, to use your own voice, you've got to find somebody who can, who can help you sort of change that tide a little bit. I mean, I just believe that, that you've got to find somebody in the C-suite who does believe in brand voice. But I also think that even the best companies who, you know, maybe think that they don't have a discernible voice and that they, they're just maybe unclear on kind of how to use it. I mean, I think just starting by letting people know that they're there by people, I mean, readers, letting your readers know that they're real people who are writing these blog posts yeah. and eBooks and white papers and yeah, landing pages, yeah, like yeah. just allowing a little bit of personality to shine through because so often, John, like the bar is super low, especially in the B2B space. At the B2B yeah. forum, at the Marketing Cross B2B forum a couple of weeks ago, I, I shared this this exact problem. I talked about this exact problem. I shared the story of a scientific instrumentation company and, and how their brand voice is like extremely buttoned up. Like they sell, they sell devices to laboratories, right? And so their brand voice is extremely buttoned up. Like there's nothing discernible about it at all. Their product names have like H12755 capital H small a, like, you know, that's like how they name their products. And so it's like, what do you do with that? Um, and so I think that there's an opportunity there for some creative marketer in working within a scientific instrumentation company. And I'm using this as a proxy now. It's like, I think there's opportunity there for any one of us who are working with a, in a company to say, you know what, our voice is really our chance to, to, to create a connection with our audience. Yeah. Like that's it. Like it sounds highfalutin and literary, but it's not, it's actually just a, the ability to form trust and to fill film to, to form that connection. That's what, that's what our personalities do as people. And that's what our voices do for our brands as well. And I think sometimes the real opportunity comes in like the company you just mm -hmm. shared in doing something that they, that maybe the reader doesn't yeah, expect. Exactly because they've just been like bored to death for 10 years. And now it's like, Whoa, yeah, that I didn't see yeah. that coming. I think that's, that's the real opportunity. I mean, would it be, would you, would it be safe to say that if you are going to try to decide on a direction to go, that voice of customer is always the best mm. voice? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I also think voice of, I mean, in marketing, yeah, yeah, certainly. definitely in marketing. I mean, I think voice of the customer is important, especially when you want to pull in like the language that they use, you know, that's, that's really right. important. But I also think that it's not just that. I also think it's about who you are as a brand and, and, and right. uh, very often like in a smaller company that'll come from the founder or, <laughs> or the, or, or, or one of the founders, you know, it, 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 and at a bigger company, I think it, it also will. A, it's a conversation you need to have internally, like who are we as a company and how do we actually communicate in a way that is going to feel like a little bit more accessible to our audience. So yeah, pulling in the voice of the customer, I think is, um, is key, but I also think it's, it's, it's part of what it, there's an exercise in the book to, to sort of help you figure out what is your brand voice. Um, so, yes, I was just thinking about when you said, like, how do you find your brand voice? One of those questions in that knot of questions that you asked me. And I think, you know, just just thinking through, like, how is it that we want to be seen and what, you know, why did we get into this business? I offer you a whole series of questions to go through and, and what is it that excites us about it? Um, 
and also looking at, you know, like the people who founded your company, who are we and, and like, what is our history and, and who are we as a, as a brand? I think all of that is plays into your voice as well. Let's talk a little bit about your style. Who would be, who would be your writing twin? So like writer out there that you think I, I'm not asking you to compare yourself to them necessarily, but that you write like them or you, you feel like your style is a little like them. I don't know that I have a writing twin per se. I have a, I have a writing mentor, I guess, of my own who he has no idea that he is my writing mentor and, and probably it would be so, it would just be such a weird thing to even, even for him to think about. But so David Sedaris, I mentioned him a second ago, is probably the person who's, who I, I aspire my writing to be close to. I won't say it's like, yeah. I, I don't like look at David and I think, oh, I'm going to write just like him. But there are elements of the way that he talks about things or the metaphors that he, yeah. that he, that he ascribes in his writing that I'm like, you know, I've learned a lot from him. And so I think, I don't know, mentor is, is probably the good, a good word, or maybe just like, uh, yeah. he's been like a silent coach. I sh shared this story not too long ago in a talk, but I, I talked about how over the past few years, like one of the reasons why my voice has changed is because you mentioned it a second ago, because I, I have the discipline now to sit down every two weeks and write that letter, that newsletter to 50,000 subscribers on my list now. So that I started that newsletter almost four years ago. And that just the consistency of that over time and yeah. really thinking about yeah. how do I communicate with an audience in a way that feels very authentic, I guess, to use that word for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Um, there you go. That's really helped me evolve my voice. So that's one way that I evolved my voice. But the second way, so just by practicing, like by mimicking sure. and like by seeing what works and what doesn't, what feels right and letting go a little bit too and not, not like agonizing quite so much about like I felt like I would – very often when I would publish something like when I read my old blog post, for example, and maybe you've experienced this too. Oof. It's like, I feel oh, yeah. my tension. Like I was so like careful and like kind of buttoned up and like, Ooh, like I just, and it, it's a little bit evident in the first edition too. the, that, that, that sort of like that kind of vibe is like, I felt my anxiety a little bit like, uh, like, Oh God, people are going to read this. Like I felt that like you, maybe anybody else reading it wouldn't see it, but I saw it cause I know myself now. Yeah, of course. Um, that's really, that's really interesting. Yeah. I was just the opposite. Mine will read like journal oh. entries. I mean, it's like, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many emails I got from people in the early days, you, you know, cr pointing out my grammar because so <laughs> yeah, I would just let it flow and like publish. I published a blog post every day for like 4,000 wow. days, you know, so a lot of it was just like stream of consciousness. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was the opposite, not so much from a grammar standpoint, but like just, I, I feel like I approached it as a journalist actually, is that's how mine mm -hmm. read. Instead mm -hmm. of like letting my yeah. own personality and point of view take the lead, I would, I was always like kind of going back and forth and arguing with myself and like offering the other point of view. It's like, I don't know, like, who did I think I was? Like, I'm not writing for the New York Times for God's sakes. But you know, you wrote for Click, I mean, you wrote, when you wrote for mm -hmm. ClickZ, it was more like a media mm -hmm. publication than what yeah. we then saw blog yes, become. Yes, yes, that is true. Yeah, it was much yeah. more like that. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, my background is is in journalism. Like, I worked in journalism for 10 years right. before I started, you know, before the internet happened. And so, so yeah, that is definitely my foundation. Now, I was just going to say that, so two things that evolved my voice. One was, you know, to have that 
regular practice. I wasn't daily like yeah. you, but every two weeks it was, it's, you know, that's definitely helped me evolve my voice. The second thing though, is I went through and read all of David Sedaris's work. I started right from the very huh. beginning. I read his very first book of essays, which was published in the nineties, uh, 96, maybe something like that. I read that book and then I sequentially went through and read every single issue, sorry, every single book that he published like in order. So I think he's published, I don't know, 15 books, something like that, 12, maybe not that many, but I went through and and like in, in seeing how his voice evolved and noticing choices that Mm -hmm. he made, like I read them as a writer, you know what I mean? Like I went through and Mm -hmm. just, Mm -hmm. the first time I read them, I just read them as a reader, like just to enjoy them. But this time I went through and and looked at them a lot, a little bit more carefully. You start saying, why do you make that choice here? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's so funny that he compared his mother's tan to toast. And I was like, that's like a funny way to think about it. And so, yeah, there's just some things that really, it helped me rethink about how I, like by looking at the choices he made, it made me think Mm -hmm. about, you know, how I, how I evolve my own voice. So. And yet not a single F-bomb shows up in everybody writes. It's true. It's off brand. <laughs> so you couldn't have been influenced by him by too much. <laughs> have you ever seen him in Oh, yeah. Live? I've seen him like four times. Yeah. 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 He's yeah. a handful. What would E.B. White think of your advice in this Oh, work? my goodness. I was going to say he was using on my other literary crush. I love his work. I, just, I love his work so much. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Actually, I just got a, a second edition. Oh, sorry. I just got the a first edition of Charlotte's Web by a friend. She mm. sent it to me for my birthday, which was like a week and a half ago. Oh my gosh, it's just like it's so special to me. I've been I've been like lusting after a first edition of Charlotte's Web by E.B. White forever yeah. because yeah. I've talked about this too. But it's like not that it's not because it's a, it's a fantastic children's book, which it is, but it's such a great parable for marketing so yeah, anyway yeah, so yeah. yeah that's that so what would i think i don't know what he would think about it i mean i hope that he would like it i name checked him a few times yeah, i mean i yeah. think E.B. white is just a fantastically talented writer i because he can go between essays and new yorker articles and children's books just seamlessly you know he wrote charlotte's web and he he wrote stuart little but he also wrote the elements of style which i know you're a fan of style right um a writing book (laughs) for for the ages and then he also he he, i mean but really what he did is he wrote for the atlantic monthly for a long time for harper's and for for the new yorker so all right so now the 800 pound elephant in the room I thought you'd appreciate that yeah. mixed metaphor. It's it's actually the 800-pound gorilla. An 800-pound elephant's actually not that big. So, <laughs> Is that a fact? What's that? No, I, I use that all the time. I heard somebody say, so, you know, let's talk about the 800-pound elephant in the room. And it's obviously the 800-pound yeah. gorilla or the elephant in the right, room. Right. <laughs> but So it's my favorite mixed metaphor. 800-pound elephant, you're probably not that big. You're probably right. They're born about a thousand pounds. <laughs> so it's such a funny mixed metaphor. But anyway, so just throw that in for the writing geeks out there that are surely listening to this show. All right. So what I really wanted to get to is I'll just throw it out there. Is AI going to replace all writers? Oh there, my Heather? goodness. 100% no. They, it will not replace all writers. It will replace some mediocre writers. And that's, again, another reason why I believe that using our opportunity to communicate with an audience in a way that is truly like that, that embodies our own voice and that truly could only come from us. 
something I talk about in the book quite a bit, is so important because, you know, AI, I do think is increasingly going to creep into our writing. It already is. I mean, I, I use Grammarly sure on yeah. a daily basis. You know, it's, it's my little writing robot editor that sits on my shoulder through everything that I do. And so it's already yep. starting to... No, no more passive voice for you. <laughs> exactly. I love to just like argue with it though. I just, I love to just <laughs> flick it right away. It's like, no, you know what? I made that choice on purpose. I do that all the time. It's highly, highly satisfying yeah. because, but that's the whole thing, right? It's like, yes, AI is going to creep into what we do. It's going to write first right. drafts for us. It's going to correct our grammar. And sometimes that's useful. But sometimes it's not. And so I think, you know, there are two ways that I think about it. It's like, yeah, I love to just say, no, AI, this is exactly what I wanted to do as a writer, as a creator. This is what I want to convey. So, you know, I don't take their suggestions and I love to just like dismiss. It's just really satisfying. But I think the other way that that it is going to affect us is like when they when, for example, if we use an AI writing tool, we, we input some data and some coordinates and it spits out spits out the first draft of a blog post for us. I think it's it's important that we then take that blog post and make it truly our own. So add our voice, add our personality. I think it will make writing faster for a lot of people, which I think mm -hmm. is it's good and bad. You know, I mean, I'm a realist about it. I don't think that it's not going to affect. I think it absolutely will affect us. But you know, I have some. Uh, I have some mixed thoughts or some mixed alliances, I guess, about how I feel about yeah. making writing more efficient. Like that's a big selling point for a lot of these AI tools and platforms. And I'm not so sure that we want to be more efficient as writers. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't want somebody to build something for me and, and like talk about that, that they were able to do it fast. Like I want somebody to take time and craft and care. Like that's my, that's what I want. So I think that's what I want us as creators to we give ourselves permission yeah. to do that. Well, I, I think the message certainly for creators has to be that, you know, strategy is your superpower. I mean, there are, if you're competing with the people writing $10 blog posts, you're in trouble, <laughs> you know, but if you're actually helping drive strategy, you know, you're never going to be replaceable. Where I've, where we use it all the time is there is technical writing, like writing for a search engine, writing meta descriptions for a search engine is a technical thing that it can do better than I can because it is using an algorithm that is, that are the rules of the game, right? Another certainly case is, is versioning. We need 27 ad headlines to, yes. to test. Yes. And I will tell you from experience that I have no idea which one's going to win. Uh, you know, because it's just weird. And so I think those are some places where I think it's, it, it definitely is serving a mm, tremendous yeah, purpose. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think two really good examples of, of how it's going to change things, but, but like even the AI writing tool platform executives, like the people who I've heard speak about it, like they've even said, like, you can't put an yeah. AI writing tool in the hands of a non-writer and expect magic yeah, like yeah. it's not going to happen like you've got to have that yeah. basis you know so you know at least for now until you know they they come for me and come for you and then we're all we're all <laughs> well it, it it will get better i mean one of the things you talked about like you like to flick away those grammarly things well true ai tools will actually yeah, go exactly. oh and didn't like yeah. that suggestion <laughs> and so next time we won't make it or next time we'll make it a different way. They'll start finding your voice. They won't, they won't start eliminating really and just mm -hmm. every yeah, time exactly. you say it. Yeah, <laughs> right? that's so true. So.
All right. So, and where can people find, obviously the book's available anywhere, but where, where would you invite people to connect oh with you goodness. otherwise? Um, yeah. So you can find me at annhanley.com if you want to subscribe to my every other Sunday newsletter, which is one of the best things on the internet. It's at annhanley.com slash newsletter. You can also find me at marketing profs, uh, at marketingprofs.com or, and as you said, you can find the book basically on Amazon or Barnes and Noble or bookshop.org, wherever you like to get your books. Awesome. Well, Ann, thanks for taking a moment to stop by the duct tape marketing podcast. And hopefully we will run into you again soon. One of these days out there so. on the thanks road. Hey, and one final thing before you go, you know how I talk about marketing strategy, strategy before tactics. Well, sometimes it can be hard to understand where you stand in that, what needs to be done with regard to creating a marketing strategy. So we created a free tool for you. It's called the Marketing Strategy Assessment. You can find it at marketingassessment.co, not .com, .co. Check out our free marketing assessment and learn where you are with your strategy today. That's just marketingassessment.co. I'd love to chat with you about the results that you get. 